Hello everyone, welcome back. This is Bald, Bold, and Gold. As always, I'm Alex Donovan. I will be joined by Ian Waller and the very handsome Tom Slevin. Uh, we have a great show for you guys today. Um, obviously, it was a pretty hectic week in Notre Dame football. We talk Clark Lee accepting the Vanderbilt head coaching job. We talk Clemson, obviously. And we give our picks at the end, and we also give a little signing day preview, talk about our favorite recruits. It's a great show. I don't know how we've made it to week 15 in this college football season. Sometimes you just have to look in the mirror and be thankful for what you got. I know personally that's something I do. All right, let's get started. Everyone, welcome back. It is Tuesday, December 15th. The college football season, for the most part, has flown by us. It's conference championship week. For the first time ever, the Irish will be playing for a conference title. Uh, as always, it's Tuesday, so the college football rankings came out minutes before we recorded. I'll start with my thoughts. Let's be honest here. The committee has one goal in mind. There's four teams in college football right now this year that are the four biggest brands. Those four teams are going to make the playoffs, I think, even with a Clemson loss. And, you know, people will be mad about what happens behind the top four. Quite honestly, I don't think it's going to matter. Yeah, I'm, uh, I was a little frustrated this week with, with what came out. Um, I, do, I, don't, I don't disagree with, with your overall opinion here. I think that um, they, they know the four that they want, and I think they're going to have the, that, those four teams have built, built – a plenty good case um, that no matter what happens on Saturday, that may they may not move. They may shuffle, but they uh, they may not move. But I, I was a little upset with with Florida not getting punished more. Um, I think that there was a balancing act that that the um, that the committee did because you know there was comments from Dan Mullen and from the SEC commissioner this weekend about you know why are we getting punished for playing extra games? But the bottom line is you lost you lost to a hapless LSU team at home, uh, an LSU team that had days previously just announced that they, they weren't playing for the postseason anymore. They're postseason fans. So what did they have left to play for? I just I – don't, I don't understand how they can still sit up there at seven. Um, I also just kind of have a gripe with – I know Georgia's playing well, um, but I just don't like that Cincinnati has also kind of been punished for being idle. Um, you know, I think I think that they still not – that, not that it would really matter overall, but I, I, I still think that they should be sitting um, in the seven hole. Um, one thing would be interesting to the uh, while, while, while I agree with you on the whole that Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State are the four. Uh, a Clemson lost this weekend. Uh, it would be it, it's got to be difficult to to keep Texas A&M out. 
especially with the way they've been playing. But I, I but I probably agree with you. It's probably not going to change. It's probably not going to change. I think I think Clemson is probably a little. I think I think Ohio State has to win convincingly to solidify their spot. I still think they'll get in if they win by ten. Um, but I I I mean, um, the conference playoff president who always does his interviews. He mentioned that they were thinking about switching that Texas A&M Ohio State four spot there. Um, so I, I think Ohio State, they've got to prove, and I think they will, but they've got to prove that they belong because they've only played six games. Um, and I, I'm with you, Slev. I, I think Florida absolutely should have dropped. They're getting praised for beating this Georgia team that was an entirely different team without JT Daniels at quarterback. The, the, the Georgia team that they beat was not the Georgia team we see now that the committee obviously loves. So, so I mean, I, I, I thought – yeah, LSU is a big name. They won the championship last year, but if you take all that away from it, they are a they are a below average football team. And for me, here's like another. I made this point last week too. Ian, you just reminded me. Inconsistency kind of drives me crazy because if you're not going to punish Iowa State for an early season loss to uh, to a Louisiana team, then why are you rewarding Florida for an early season win against a different Georgia team? Um, so to me, there's a there's a slight hypocrisy and an inconsistency in that, that, that I think myself and a lot of other fans would find frustrating. So here's my thing is that Clemson say, if we win, we're not most likely going to blow out a team with Trevor Lawrence and those guys back on defense. We certainly win. We'll get to that later. But if we win, you know, where's the argument that Texas A&M has been anywhere close to as impressive. You know, if Texas A&M makes it, they're going to be at four. We've seen that game before against Alabama. You know, they lost, what, 52-17? I, you know, I'm not sure if this will happen, but I think there's, you know, a non-zero, like, solid, like, significant chance that if Clemson, say, we go to double overtime again, like, are you going to be convinced that A&M's one of the best four teams in the country and Clemson's not? You know, we'll, what the committee will do, who knows. But, you know, I think that you could see it happening where a two-loss Clemson, because you think of any, say A&M loses the Tennessee, then all hell breaks loose. You know, I think Clemson will still be put ahead of any of the other two-loss teams, you know, the Floridas, Georgias, Iowa States. So, you know, I think we could see a two-loss team in the playoff for the first time. If I'm a Cincinnati fan, I'm upset just because, you know, there's teams lose and stay ahead of you teams lose again and still stay ahead of you. But I think main point here is like Clemson, even with a close loss is not out. So obviously knows that as you guys mentioned, he's already laying the groundwork. Yep. <laughs> yep. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a politician first football coach. And he's mighty good at both, but he's a preacher too. All right, so do we want to talk about, you know, the, the reason for all this chaos is is that pretty much, you mentioned it earlier, Florida, a horrendous loss, should have won, honestly, should have ended the game. But then, uh, I don't know what the guy's name is, Shoegate, just tossing LSL, LSU player's shoe on, what was it, third and 15 stop or something like that? It's absurd. Who has, who has a bigger cannon? Shoegate guy? Because he, he, he sent that thing flying downfield. Or the LSU kicker that nailed one in subpar conditions. Yeah. That, in I the mean, fog. 
that ball that ball's got to be soaking wet just with the humidity and I'm sure the dampness of the field. The fact that he hit that from 57 through the fog, I think it looked good from 65 or 70. Like he, I, you don't know that for sure. He has but a I mean, cannon attached to his right leg. He, that was a nuke, dude. That was a what what a shot. And I think I think that's kind of. I have, a, I have a few takes on this Florida game. And the first one is that it, it, the LSU kicker should not get lost in translation here with the whole thing. Like that's still, a, that's still a tied game under two minutes that he kicks, uh, he kicks a field goal to, to knock off the number six team in the country. Like that's kudos to him, you know, and kudos to the whole LSU team for still bringing it to Gainesville. Um, Cause like I said, they, they didn't have much reason to. Um, my second take on it is, I think it was the, the guy's name is Wilson from from Florida. Like, what a boneheaded, what a boneheaded play that was. Uh, that was so so stupid. Um, you get you get you make a stop on third down. You're gonna get them. You're gonna get them to punt, and you have the probably the Heisman prior to the last week, probably the Heisman winner. I know he threw two interceptions in the game, but he's probably the Heisman winner to march down the field to just even put your team in field goal position to win to win the game. Um, and instead, you just have to celebrate like an idiot. Um, with that said, though, I think that on a bigger, like on a bigger scale, on a more macro scale, like Florida should never have been in that position. They're twenty-three point favorites. Uh, why were you? Why was this a game in the fourth quarter? At home, why was, Trask, why was this a game? Kyle Trask threw a pick six. The second interception was absolute chaos. Uh, I don't know if you guys yeah. saw that pick. Um, I, I did that see was, that. That was craziness. That was a circus play. But uh, he lost the, to me. He lost the Heisman. When he threw a pick six in a tight game, um, mm-hmm. I, I thought he threw like we could really see the trophy flying out of his hands at that point. Um, so, and yeah. and Pitts not playing too. I mean, sounds like to all for all indications, Pitts warmed up, was dressed for the warm up, and then came out in street clothes for the game. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of people would say that they probably thought he was they were going to be able to rest him, and I, I can't say I necessarily blame that blame them for that. But by the same, you know, but then. You, you kind of learn the hard way that if if available, like your guys should play. It's still you're still playing Division One talent on the other side of the ball. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of Heisman, I kind of think Devonte Smith has a very very real shot now. I think so. I think I think that tra- I think that train's getting a lot of momentum. I mentioned it last week. He should win, and even though I picked Mac Jones, I think Devonte Smith. What do you have? Another punt return, then two more receiving, or something like that. We like, had over I think the game up too. It was a close game. Yeah, and then he went. He went. Yep. Yard. I mean, that dude's the best player in college football. For sure. Now, is he like the quarterback on the best team? No, because sometimes that's who wins. But he's the best player in college football. I think. I think he has the numbers now to do it. I mean, he has a couple record-breaking performances at this point. Um, that that two hundred yard game stands out. That punt return could be a Heisman moment. Could be his Desmond Howard a little bit. And we don't have a Joe Burrow that's absolutely running away with it. Um, and the argument is there that Mac Jones is only good, as good as he is, because of Devontae Smith. I don't think the argument goes the other way, where Devontae Smith is only as good because of Mac Jones. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I think the train, that, that, that train, surprisingly, is getting a lot of hype right now. And, and I, would, I, I think I would love to see it happen. I think Devontae yeah. Smith is the best player in college football. Um, and I think that... You know, I, I, I think it's just become so much of a quarterback award and slightly running back award. It's going to be difficult to, for him to get the necessary votes. But by the same token, like I think a uh, I think a house call on a punt return or a kick return this week 
uh, in the SEC championship with all games with all eyes on um, could be huge for his for his Heisman campaign. Um, yeah, I think there's something like eight, over 800 Heisman voters. Um, so obviously it's difficult for everybody to get eyes on every game. Um, so a lot of people may have, you know, may hear about Devonta Smith, but actually without actually having seen him play, um, this is a good chance with with the bright lights on to uh, to make another two or three really special plays. Uh, and I, I, to me, it's going to be that much harder to take the award away from him and give it to to his quarterback, who I believe um, is is the serious benefactor of having the best running back in the country and the best. Uh, receiver in, in the country. This same topic. Get, guess who's back, boys? Waddle, waddle, waddle. Sunshine? Jalen, yeah, oh, wa- yeah. Oh, wait, what? I thought Jaylen he was out waddle. for the year. No, he broke his ankle. I mean, I don't know how you could break it even more. You know, like, I understand, like, once you're wet, yeah, it was it's broken, it's broken. Bad. He, broke, he broke his ankle as bad as you could break your ankle, and now he's back. Um, and I, I think I want my Notre Dame championship future back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, are we? Are we? You know, now, Ian, I saw the same video you did and got equally as excited. Uh, are we one hundred percent sure that he's back and they weren't just kidding? Or well, I saw but, that I mean, after he's walking I had heard. I heard somebody say that they might potentially get him back. Yeah. For so the, he's walking playoff. around. He's walking around without a boot on. Like yeah. And and lo- and looking a okay in the video. It was on Devonta Smith's story, um, and they may have just been messing around in the locker room, but if he's back put the rest of the country on notice because um, I, you know, I think I, I'd, I'd have a difficult difficult time with, with all that talent seeing anybody holding them under 40. Yeah. That's scary. Um, and I think any other the best games, defense in the country. There are any other games that uh, you guys want to talk about? Well, honestly, this was outside of Florida LSU, you know. This is a season where we just haven't really seen a ton of you know huge upsets – Crazy, insane games like a normal college football season. In its own way, Army-Navy had its own insaneness to it. Um, I think there was one passing play for 28 yards. Um, That's for Army. uh, Army only had one. one, Yeah. Yeah. They ran Uh, ran the ball 53 times and and passed once. And it's crazy because, like, they they weren't even running it well. They they weren't even running it well. I mean, and it only broke open because neither team could hold on to the ball. And, and Navy's fumble recovery game is is brutal. Yeah, I think it was uh, for me. That was a fun game to watch. I think like that's always a super super cool game. I I would like to make plans to go to it next year because um, it's in Jersey. But uh, I, just the whole atmosphere was really really cool. I thought the uniforms were nice. The fog coming in in West Point was sweet. Also added. I think the coordinators had to move out of the box and down to the field because they couldn't see anything from the love that from the from the, from the boxes at Mike at Mikey Stadium. Um, in addition to that, I think before we before we move on to to Notre, some Notre Dame specific stuff, two things that I want to touch on: Mackenzie Milton transfers to Florida State, um, which I it's nothing huge, but I thought that was pretty interesting as as that was a name that was thrown around a little bit as a potential name that Notre Dame would go after in the off season if he hung around in the portal. And surprising that he didn't go to Nebraska, given that um, they're there, I think Taylor Martinez experiment really experiment really hasn't worked out. Yeah, it'll be I, interesting. Go ahead, D. I, I mean, he's I, he'll be playing football for the first time in what, like two, two and was it two or three years? He's missed November, at least two whole seasons. November twenty eighteen. 
Yeah, so it'll so be... So it'll be two and a half years, a little more. Yeah, since he stepped on the football field, and there's a very good shot he's facing you know, Notre Dame's defense in his first action on the field. Which is crazy. He's His first, yeah. his first game is going to be sun, Sunday of Labor Day weekend against, against a Notre Dame defense. A different yeah. Notre Dame defense than we're seeing. Today, different, as as we'll, yeah. as, we'll as we'll get to. Um, I, I mean, like, still see injury, Kyle Hamilton. His injury, I, I, we've we've seen injuries like that. We, I mean, those are the worst injuries. Um, kudos to him for like for this comeback. I mean, it's gonna be an incredible comeback. Good for him. I'm glad he's getting a shot. Um, I, I mean, when we saw him, he was a great player, but he was in a great offense. Um, Dylan Gabriel kind of stepped in and and the next year and did great things as well in that offense. I I don't th- I I don't know it, it's 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 a good story and I hope he does well there but I don't think it's really I I, I didn't really want Notre Dame to get him all that much. No, so there's there's no way he's at his hundred percent even then. Who knows how you know he's a Hawaii kid? Is he Hawaii? Yeah, he is. Yeah, is that, yeah, he's from Hawaii. Yeah, how a Hawaii kid uh, quarterback, you know. It's always kind of unsure how if in South Bend. I know we've had a lot of success, but you know you'll be used to living in Orlando for the last four years. But all right, do you guys want to move on? There is uh, pretty significant news. Hold on, hold on, for... hold on. I want to I want to make this a funnel because we should start wide and then get down to the Notre Dame stuff. There was okay. a lot that happened on the yeah. coaching carousel. Yeah, I let, let's. I okay. love the coaching carousel. It is my favorite ride. Me too. At the park. It is fantastic. <laughs> the the part the, the amusement part that is college football. Yeah, it's got to be a top ride. Touch of um, my I don't. So all the speculation is Hugh Freeze to Bama. First of all, Slev, I know we talked it's about this a little bit. The boosters throwing twenty one million at Gus Malzahn to not coach their football team. First of all, it, I mean it's so mean, it's so rude, but it's so awesome for him. It's so awesome, dude. We got some. We we had some big payouts this week. For people to not do their jobs anymore. Your boy made it. Uh, <laughs> Gus Malzahn got twenty-one and a half sheets. Uh, Justin Fuente today, I think. I think Justin Fuente today got ten, right? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Sublin got seven and a half. Lovey Smith got two point three. Um, well, Fuente hasn't been fired yeah, yet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't. I haven't heard anything about Fuente getting fired. Like no, Fuente. Fuente has, has not he not been, been fired, fired yet today. I was just saying, then what I was this press conference about? Maybe did not find him. Yeah, pretty I much. Mean, I, didn't, I don't think he got – miraculously, I think he still has a job. He might be You're right. He does still have a job. Yeah. He, yeah, you're right because he just he just lost out on some money. But there was a there, there was a lot of boosters pony up a lot of money to make sure that there were certain guys not staying in programs. But it'll make for a fun, it'll make for a fun carousel because um, you got a lot of coordinators um, who, who, who should and will be on the move. Um, with some big time openings, and then you also have a lot of group of five coaches who I think deserve a look. I think guys like Lance Leipold from uh, from Buffalo, and uh, and Billy Napier from Louisiana, and um, Chad and J- Jamie Chadwell Coastal, and even Jeff Monken. Like I think those guys all, um, and you know I don't think Jeff Monken will actually leave, but I think the uh, like all those guys deserve looks at, at bigger programs. I think I think Jeff Munkin might I think he might leave. Um, I don't think he's gonna be the first name off the board. Uh, but if there, I think if there's a Power Five job still out there, maybe in Illinois, um, and if we see another coach get fired before the end of the year, I, I, I know he's doing, he's done such a great job at Army, but if, if I'm him, it'd be tough not to look elsewhere. 
Yeah, I, I think he'd he'd be a good fit, you know, at you know one of those bottom tier power five. Like we're talking bottom third of yeah, the conference. Like like you said, Illinois actually would be bottom pretty fifth. interesting. Bottom fifth. <laughs> bottom yeah. fifth. And and you, and you know and you know who I who are where I really thought I liked Jeff Monken at. Where Vanderbilt. It was Vanderbilt. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the news. Obviously, Clark Lee heading back to his hometown, his alma mater. And this is something we all agreed on. We are rooting for Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, what he's done, he came in, he was part of the huge culture change in Notre Dame after the 2016 season. He's been the best defensive coordinator, in my opinion, in college football this year, if not the best coordinator overall. You know, I think he deserves a chance to go back to his hometown, probably where he has some of his extended family. And, you know, at least, you know, for a first head coaching job, Vanderbilt, if you win six games, that's a success. He's not going to have a ton of pressure on from the boosters. You know, this isn't the typical SEC school where hell, Derek you, know, you have to win right seven away. Years. Yeah. I mean, happy for Clark Lee. We can also groom him for the ND job by having him coach here too. That that is a, a good coach. point. That is a good point. I have a couple things to say on this. First of all, I've been dumped before, and nothing hurt like this. Nothing hurt like I agree. this. This, this mm. one hurt. Um, I didn't think this was the right job for him, and I like maybe I was just being selfish because I want to stand her name. But I was like, you know what? Like Vandy's a dead end job. Like it's not. It's a Power Five program. Like, it's a great school and a great place. And Nashville. He's from Nashville. He went there. Um, but there are zero expectations. Derek Mason was as bad as you could possibly be, and the club said he lasted seven years. Um, so uh, it's not a bad place to go as a coach. And, and I will say, Clark, Clark Lee, there are no hard feelings because Elko, we felt like we were a little bit of a stop in his career. Clark Lee like, came in to do his best job possible the entire time for Notre Dame. I'd agree. I'd agree. To me, I have like uh, – uh, I had two takes on like the Vanderbilt job I and mean, me being selfish. I was like, I think he should wait for sure. And cause I think he'll have the, he'll have his pick much like Tony Elliott and Brett, Venner- and, uh, Brett Venerables and Steve Sarkeesian all have that luxury. Like, you know, when you're, when you're in that, when you're in that high demand um, and you can take and you can warrant that much money, you can kind of pick where you want to go. So I was hoping that he'd kind of pick, he'd wait um, and, and pick somewhere. Maybe he had a better chance to win, but by the same token, like, following Derek Mason is like the best possible position you can be in. If there's one coach you don't want to follow, like the poor guy who has to take over for Nick Saban in Alabama, but on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, like Vanderbilt is the freshest and freshest and best start you can get. The expectations are very low. He's a hometown boy. I, I wish him nothing but the best. I'd love to see them competing for the SEC East in three years. I think it's, it'd be tough. I think it's a really tough ask, but I think he's, he's, really done a really good job of helping change the culture at Notre Dame. And I don't see why he, why he can't do it again. Cause wherever he goes, I think there's, if there's one thing he does, he cares. Yep. I mean, it, it's going to hurt. Um, terms of like, you know, wanting him to be the next head coach at Notre Dame. I do think this is a good thing rather than having him sit as DC as a coach and waiting type thing. I know I said, Last week, I just don't like that. I think this is better, you know, if we're looking at the 2025, who's the head coach of Notre Dame. I think there's a very good shot. It's Clark Lee. And this is probably better for him in terms of getting to, you know, know how to run a program in totality. 
Um, so I guess moving on from here, you know, who do you guys think? I know this is initial, and Clark Lee will be coaching the rest of the year. Who do you guys think you know should be the top candidates to replace Clark Lee? Um, yeah, I, uh, I think for me, the top candidate for sure, um, uh, Pete Sampson put out an article today in the athletic, which I found to be a good guide for anybody who is not that familiar with, with who's going to be available. But, um, Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati yep. was, is yep. for sure my top choice. He is for sure my top choice. That defense. And uh, yes, they play in the, in the AC and, um, and yes, maybe they haven't had the toughest schedule, toughest of schedules, but. Damn, that defense forces turnovers, that defense is disciplined, and that defense has elite athletes on it who can play. So it tells me he can recruit. Um, it tells me, you know, he forces turnovers, which which Notre Dame has not always been the best at. Um, and I think he'd be another guy, he'd be another rising star kinda kinda on the defensive side of the ball that I'd love to see come to Notre Dame. The issue with um, the issue with Marcus Freeman is that if Luke Fickle leaves, he's likely Cincinnati's internal answer. So if Luke Fickle, who's a guy I didn't mention before, but if, you know, Luke Fickle should more 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 than deserves to move on to another to a Power Five school as well. Um, so if he's um, but if if he moves on, you know, there's a chance that Marcus Freeman can skip can skip in another coordinator spot and to, and get a head coaching job, which um, you know objectively is probably a good call. But I I would really like to see him in the press box um, or in the in the uh, coordinator box next year, uh, call the Notre Dame defense. I think he'd be really, really good. I I know we we promoted from within last time with Clark Lee um, after Elston left. I don't think the answer is currently in the Goog Leo Mino Athletic Complex right now. Uh, I think Clark Lee was was a different different type of hire for us. Um, I don't think Mike Elston should do it. He's been coaching. He's been associate head coach for a while now. There's a reason he's not a defensive coordinator. Um, he's a great D-line coach and a great recruiter, but I, I, I just don't think he could could run an entire defense as well as we need them to. I would love Marcus Freeman. Um, I think he'd be a great fit with the program. He's coaching under a great head coach in Luke Fickle right now, and Cincinnati recruits pretty well. They, they, rep, they recruit really well right now, um, and that's an indicator um, that he could do the same thing in Notre Dame. So I would love to see Marcus Freeman. I have the same concerns you did, Slev, that – more so that we might, might not be able to get him, um, but I, I I think I'm I think I could see Luke Fickle hanging around Cincinnati. Yeah, I could too. I mean, he turned down he turned down the Michigan State job last year. He's yeah. he's clearly being sele- he's clearly being selective in what he wants to do. Yeah. If he doesn't see anything yeah. he likes, I could see him hanging around. How about you, Dean? I mean, Luke like- Fickle. So yeah, then like I said, I think Freeman was obviously a name that came to mind for me as well. And Luke Fickle, in my opinion, is waiting around for you know, a blue blood of the blue bloods, you know, Ohio State, Notre Dame. He's not going to go to Michigan because he's in Ohio State. You know, he's, you know, that's where he grew up in the coaching ranks. Um, but like Texas, USC, a school like that is probably, you know, Michigan State's not going to draw Fickle. So I, I think Fickle would stay for a while, which would give us time, you know, have Freeman come in here. His system's not all that different. Another name that was at least interesting to me uh, at least outside the Goog, like you guys said, was uh, Jeff Heacock, I believe his name, from Iowa State. And because, you know, that's a team that does not have a lot of talent. And I think schematically he might be the best choice, but all things considered, you know, the guy's 60 years old. 
So I believe Marcus Freeman's 34. He's not going to have that same presence, you know, on the recruiting trail, same energy to go after guys. So I think that's really important, especially going forward with Notre Dame, because, you know, if you're not having the scheme to the level of Clark Lee, you know, got to get recruits. But and then also it would be a pretty much pretty drastic scheme change. They run a three three five. You know, we have our modified four two five where we just have the chess piece. We've been lucky enough to have Wu. You know, being able having to change your entire defensive front, you know, the type of athletes that we've recruited at the drop slash viper position, I know it's changed names a few times. You know, those guys, you know, they almost lose their spot in a sense in a three three five because you know you're looking for huge nose guards and kind of five tech two hundred seventy two eighty uh type dn slash d tackles so i think our personnel i think you don't you want to have a guy come in where it really he can coach to the personnel adjust rather than trying to force a system like a three three five on the other game um yeah that's pretty long-winded i know there's also some kind of internal hype about terry joseph in the goog i'm just not sure yeah i just haven't really heard enough there but i will say this Kelly hasn't missed on a hire, maybe Dell Alexander, uh, since that 2016 season. Nah, Can Chip we Long, say he's missed but... on Dell Alexander because he's still around? Yeah, it's tough. And, to, it's tough to yeah. officially say that he missed. Well, I know he's not the most likely. We, yeah, I've really come on. We were just hard on him at the start of this year. Really. For sure, for sure. And and you know what? I've heard from internally too that like a lot of guys, especially early on, don't love Dell Alexander. Um, I think that he's kind of somebody that has to grow on people, but it seems to be that he's a pretty good recruiter. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't think, I don't think it's been Kelly's best hire by any means, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a miss yet. Um, because this group, especially this year, this group has improved. Um, some of the other names that were getting thrown around too. Um, one name that was on Samson's list was Jay Bateman from UNC, um, which to me was a, was an interesting, um, was an interesting one given what we did to UNC and kind of given what their defense has done in the hole this year. But, you know, Samson bringing up a good point that um, outside of a few games, like UNC's defense has played really well with a former quarterback at middle linebacker. Like talk about, talk about somebody deep deep to your point, somebody who can adjust to the talent that they have. Um, You know, that seems like a, like a, a Jay Bateman type guy who, uh, who's willing to change his scheme to fit his athletes. Um, and can coach and can coach a bunch of different guys. Um, and then the other names that were mentioned, um, Elko, bringing back Elko from Texas A&M, which I don't think is very likely. Um, and El- El- Elston, Elston team. There was a there was a scenario where Elston and Terry Joe, if you're going to promote from within, co co promote Terry Joseph, uh, Terry Joseph and, and uh, Elston together, kind of like what you did with um, uh, Reese and uh, what's the running back coach's name. Uh, Lance Joseph and Joseph um, and you know do like a co-coordinator type deal um, but I, I like the idea of going external I think that the, I, I like I, I first Marcus Freeman is definitely my top choice it's just going to be a matter if, if we can get him away from Cincinnati yeah hopefully we can because we, we lost Elko which we I mean ended up being a blessing in disguise because he, he got paid three million dollars to coach at m it won't be that same yeah. deal with Marcus Freeman no, mm-hmm. and the and the other thing too is that like Notre Dame is the Notre Dame the Notre Dame DC should be the top coordinator position on the market this year. Like there's a lot of head coaching positions, but I don't see I don't see Tony Elliott leaving. I don't see Brett Venables leaving. I don't see Steve Sarkeesian leaving. Like I think Notre Dame 
Notre Dame's DC spot should be at the top, if not close to the top, for the for a coordinator position. So that's 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 also a good thing that that's in our favor. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons for that is, you know, we do have a lot of talent coming in. And funny enough, tomorrow is uh, December sixteenth. It's signing day, at least for the early signing period. Great, great, for great segue, Day. Great segue. Day. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'll, I'm learning from you from the first one. You know, I jumped, Silky I jumped the gun too early. But Notre Dame is probably going to sign a bigger class. There's a few people that you know they're still going after. We're not going to, you know, we're not a recruiting focused podcast. We don't have the ins and outs that uh, the people on those pay sites do. But I think you know we're all well versed enough in the type of types of guys Notre Dame gets. It's going to be a solid, you know, basically an average Brian Kelly class. I'll say it solid. Not going to blow your doors off. But I do think there are some real. I think this is a really good class because it's the right mix of guys who are going to come in and make an impact right away with a few of them, and then some guys with some really high ceilings. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a great synopsis. Um... Obviously, Blake Fisher's been the the uh, the offensive tackle. He's he's the the prized recruit in this class, and he seems all in. It's been really cool to see what he's done for the other recruits on social media. What what I was really excited about is that we're gonna lock in Deion Colsey tomorrow, um, wide receiver out of Georgia, and we lost him. Uh, he decommitted and op- reopened up his recruitment, and it kind of signified to me that we really liked him because we went after him again. Um, it can be easy to lose a guy and just kind of. Be like, all right, whatever, and let him go. We went after this guy again and got him back. Um, and obviously, I mean, senior in high school, you don't, you don't ever know. But uh, he, uh, that excites me. Just that whole, that whole process, and that we were able to retain him and get him signed on tomorrow is, is exciting to me. Yeah, I think I, I'd agree with that. I think there are some other names that we've that we've been pretty familiar with. Um, you know, don't don't forget that this is Tyler Buckner's class. Um, yes, sir. Yep. Welcome. You know, welcome. Welcome to him. You hope that he is all that he's made out to be, and and, and he can help this team um, down the road, and if, if not next year, um, yeah. Dion Colsey, like you guys mentioned, is a big one. Lorenzo Styles is somebody. Lorenzo Styles Jr. is somebody who I saw plenty of Twitter footage of. Yeah. Uh, D. I know that he played against he played against X this year, um, but like yeah, on the whole, down, but... he did get shut down against X. But Lorenzo. Lorenzo Styles on the whole, dude's a playmaker. Like, he, I'm not saying he's he's um, he's Devonta Smith by any means, but like, he seemed to be for his high school. Like, he was the punt returner, he was the kick returner, he was the star wide receiver. Like, he could he was a difference maker on their team in that aspect. I think for me, my me personally, I think I'm most excited about looking at some of the offensive line talent we're bringing in. Um, you got some absolute Classic. units. A Blake, starting with Blake Fisher, the guy I'm probably most excited about is Rockless uh, Spindler, um, out of Michigan, mm-hmm. out of out of Clarkstown, Michigan. Clarkston, Michigan. He just all time like recruiting a, video. He just looks like a grit machine, dude. Oh my god! <laughs> but even but but even further down the list, I'm looking at, I'm looking at it now. Um, Caleb Johnson comes up from Florida. He's six seven, three hundred pounds. Joe Alt comes in. He's six seven, two eighty five. Um, and then we have another guy down, uh, Pat Coogan, who's at, went to Marist in Chicago. Some of you guys may be familiar with him. Um, he's, he's six, five, two ninety. Like there is, there is some beef coming in, uh, up front for the, on this class. So, you know, it, it's, it, I'm not saying it's going to turn out to be Eichenberg banks, 
Hainsey and, and Kramer level, but with a class like that, bringing in that many guys at once, you could see some future starters coming in all at once. So that, that that's fun. When, when we lost Clark Lee, you know, in my initial, oh my God, the world's falling apart phase, I was like, crap, like signing days on Wednesday. What, what the hell? Like, first of all, like that's a quick turn off of Clark Lee to get his Vanderbilt class in shape. But also I was worried about us possibly losing recruits, but you don't commit to a coach in Notre Dame. You, co- you commit to the program in Notre Dame. Um, the only, the only, Drawback we've seen so far is it looks like Prince Kali, um, linebacker, is going to delay his signing. So he's not going to sign on tomorrow. He's still committed. He's just not is signing that tomorrow. Oh, well, he's not signing in person at his school. I did some deeper digging on this. Oh, they please, still please probably me. expect to get his letter, but he is in COVID protocol. So he will not be attending his in-person signing day at his high school in Tennessee. You know what? That's, I hope he is. I hope he is completely healthy, and there are no repercussions to that. But all in all, positive news, I guess. He's a stud. He's probably my favorite defensive player in the class. I believe, like his high school coach, and obviously a recruit's high school coach is bound or likely to come out and say this. But he says that Prince Collie, who also plays running back, I think he was Mister Tennessee. Uh, he compared him. He's like he's the next Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Really, we would all take that. Yeah, I mean, he's that level of athlete. He's probably only about two hundred ten pounds right now. I mean, lose what two fifteen? Careful what you say. Yeah, (laughs) I'm the next Trey Wingo, according to Brennan. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, he's going to be a stud. That's crazy high praise. Yeah, Um, I mean, that's best linebacker in the country. Ian, I mentioned this to you yesterday. One of the guys that I want to talk about was. uh, that Notre Dame actually he's committed to Michigan State right now um, if he doesn't sign tomorrow that's really really good news Audric uh, Estime from uh, uh, that back from, Mont- back from Montvale New Jersey St. Joseph's uh, St. Joseph's guy in North, in North Jersey um, he he's a beast dude like I watched I watched some of his film yesterday like while I was eating lunch and he reminds me he he reminds me of Le'Veon Bell and Dexter Williams' body. Uh, if you want to take the Michigan State Notre Dame comparison, the, the kid ran in eight games. He averaged two hundred and thirty three yards a game with three touchdowns. That's just silly against against in the best in the best league in the best conference in New Jersey. And you know, it's Did not it's not Derrick Texas. Henry it's not numbers? Florida. What? Did I say Derrick Henry numbers? Yeah, it's not. It's not Texas, it's not Florida, it's not California, but God, like Jersey's up there. It's the, that Catholic, the the independent or the independence of the Catholic League that's at the top of New Jersey with other teams like Bergen and Bosco and Paramus and uh, and uh, and St. Peter's where where we got Wimbush from. Um, that's a that's a really strong conference for him to be putting up numbers like that. So uh, I would love to see him not sign tomorrow with Michigan State. Um, and I think there's, you know, a lot of people believe that if, if he gets a visit to Notre Dame, if he can hold out and get the visit to Notre Dame, there's, there's a strong chance we can flip him. So that'd be great. Add another horse to the stable. Yep. All right. Before we wrap up recruiting, just rapid fire, favorite offensive recruit, favorite defensive recruit. Well, let's do a little snake draft here. You can pick one of the two. So once a name's off the board, you can't take it. No one else can take him. All right. Does anyone want to start? Yeah, you can you can start. All right, I'll, I'll say Prince Collie defense. 
and I think it's like enormous that Notre Dame does everything they can because there is some, you know, like you said, sketchiness involved to hopefully he signs tomorrow. And whenever anyone's listening to this, they'll actually know if he signed on Wednesday or not. But if I had to pick one, him, I think he's a next level athlete that Notre Dame needs to have uh, to continue to compete at this level. Um, thanks. I like, I like picking them in two hole. Uh, I'll go with uh, I'll go with Philip Riley, cornerback uh, out of Florida. Sorry, <laughs> um, I go Philip Riley. Uh, I think um, it, it's it's been exciting to watch what Clarence Lewis has done this year as a freshman, uh, as a freshman in the cornerback position. Um, to bring in somebody who another four star level guy, uh, who should be able to compete for a job next year. Um, you know, if he proves to be anything like Clarence Lewis, I think Notre Dame would be in pretty good shape down the road. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think that Philip Riley is another intriguing name um, to add to, to add to Prince. Um, Ian, third pick. So, yeah, you you mentioned Slav. This is Buchner's class, um, and he was a super highly rated guy and absolutely dominated his his division. Transferred to get out of, to get to play some more competitive football in California. Um, but didn't get to play this year because of COVID. But he also went to some camps in between that and, and was kind of criticized for his throwing motion um, and, and really dropped down to people's boards. So we kind of forget about him. I'm still super high on him. I think he's an absolute baller. And I think he's he's a leader and he's got like a good head on his shoulders, which you need at the quarterback position. So he's going to be my favorite offensive recruit. Um, and I think there's a chance that he has a role in this team next year. Um, so I'm going to take him on the offensive end. On the defensive end, honestly, there's not a ton of defensive names in this class. So I'll go with who's left, and that's Gabriel Rubio. Um, he seems like you know, no rock or spindler type, but he also seems a little bit of like a grip machine, like you said, Slev. Um, he seems nasty. Seems like he's got some fight in him. So I'm going to take Gabe Rubio. I'm looking now. I think he's rocking a ha- uh, handlebar mustache in his – I lied. <laughs> Or some chops. I, he's he's rocking it, it some looks sweet like facial it. hair it does in his like rival it. pickage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll take him. I'll take him. All right. No tackle. My offense. My offensive guy for sure is be Rocco Spindler. I talked about him earlier. Um, he was a big get um, to get to get him over over him going to Michigan. Um, there's some pretty. There's actually some pretty cool. Vi- there's a pretty good, pretty cool video that came out of Rocco showing his dad, showing Mr. Spindler uh, his acceptance letter to Notre Dame. Um, it's clear that he wants to be here really, really badly, and that his family's going to be all in on it too, which is which is great. Um, I'm looking forward to him having a having a nice role uh, on the offensive line uh, down the road, if not if not earlier earlier on in his career. So I'm going to go with Spindler for my offensive guy. All right, and then for mine, uh, my offensive guy. See, this is one where I have some flexibility because, and we talked about him earlier, Lorenzo Styles. He could be just as good on the defensive side of the ball. In that state championship game against Saint X, that you know he lost, um, you know obviously he lost. Better team all around on the other side of the ball, but they had Liam Clifford, who's a Penn State commit, four-star wide receiver. Lorenzo Styles absolutely shut him down in that game. Saint X's other receiver had four touchdowns in the first quarter, but he shut down four-star Liam Clifford. They tried to go at him a couple times on like bubble screens. Styles is not the biggest guy, but he came up and delivered the blow. Like, he can come up and hit guys. I think he has a future on, you know, whatever the side of the ball Notre Dame needs him first, you know. Maybe Avery Davis decides he wants to graduate, move on, pursue whatever other opportunities. Then we have, you know, 
hole in the slot. I believe Lorenzo Styles could come and play there right away. If we're at corner, you know, if McLeod decides to go, there's a chance Lorenzo Styles could step in at corner and, you know, if he maybe adds 10 pounds, play as a true freshman. So I think he has a very bright future at Notre Dame. Could be on either side of the ball. He's just a really good football player. He's also got a younger brother, I believe, was a sophomore in high school. Already has offers, like, from everyone. It's like a Kyle Hamilton clone. All right. Is it time? Let's do it. Let's do it. Notre Dame, Clemson, round two in Charlotte. They have, I guess they have everyone back, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Skalski, Davis, Jones. So, yeah, they're going to beat Notre Dame by like 40 this time, right? It's a foregone conclusion. Everybody seems to think, everybody seems to think that's the case. Retro sports guy didn't. <laughs> Retro sports guy is a, uh, is a warrior. He's a, uh, yeah. He's he's fighting a tough battle out there on Twitter. He's been yeah. all over. I mean, he's he's pretty much just talking he, to himself. Uh, he he has his ear to the ground when it comes to the pulse of the nation uh, and how they feel about Notre Dame football, especially against this Clemson matchup. Um, he's not liking what he's hearing. No, I mean if you listen to ESPN at you know, halftime shows or their selection shows, whatever in college football, everyone just assumes this game's over. Like, uh, Lawrence is coming back. He makes a huge difference. He's not throwing for 450. I'll tell you that right now. Like, the defense is back. Like, they won't have, like, eight They had eight guys out by the end of the game. Yeah, Notre Dame has this, pretty much the same dudes lining across from Clemson that punished them for four quarters. That's not changing. And guess what? Ian Book has gotten better since that game. That game was a launching bad for him, and he's continued to improve. So, no, I don't think that this is a foregone conclusion. Obviously, it's a Notre Dame podcast. I think we all believe that. But what would you guys say, you know, from the first game that leads you to believe that this game is winnable for Notre Dame? Because it seems like all the national pundits just don't think it is. Slav, I'll go first because I think your answer is going to be similar to mine. You can probably elaborate on on it more than I can. But... Yeah, Trevor Lawrence was out. Yeah, Skalski was out. Um, but we won on the on the front four and the front five. We we dominated their O line, especially later in the game. We absolutely wore them down. That's what we do. And we we had big runs on them. And it's not Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree that's breaking them open. Ian Book ran for 10, 12 yards multiple times down the stretch there. Uh, and their D line just couldn't contain him in the pocket anymore. That's not going to change much, I think. That being said. There, it, it's it's a different Clemson team for sure that we played the first time. Not entirely different, but where we won big, we're not seeing a lot of changes. Yeah, uh, to like to me, I think that I well, I, I do agree with you. And to me, what stuck out in game one was uh, was playmakers making plays. Um, what was things that I think stuck out in game one that was transferable to game two is players making plays. Wu blowing up ETN and taking that to the you know taking that to the house. Um, Avery Davis down the middle. Um, Javon McKinley on, on the perimeter. Like um, some guys made some big catches and some big spots. Made some big plays in some big spots. Um, so you know, and you, if if you can't compete with a team, like I think a lot of those things don't happen, and you kind of just get blown out. Like I think Notre Dame. Yes, Notre Dame needed this to win, but 
I, I think it just proves that Notre Dame has the athletes and has the guys who that, that can compete with Clemson and win a game. Um, the one thing that I, I don't that I'm hesitant to make the same comparison on is uh, the front five and the front four. Um, yes, Notre Dame's dominated on both sides of the, on the ball on that for sure. Um, they I think I think they just beat Clemson up for four quarters and a few overtimes. My issue is that this team is frankly the Notre Dame offensive line is different without um, without Jarrett Patterson and that's been that's that's been my biggest you know I, more so than work this week that's been my biggest stressor this week has been the lack of Jarrett Patterson lineup um, and then you also have to look at like having having Skalski back in your front seven if you know you just don't want to take the front four I think Notre Dame still got it um, but uh, having Skalski back as your quarterback on defense in a front seven where it's it's not you're not just going to see four guys every time there's a chance you'll see there's a high percentage chance you'll see five and and, and occasionally you're going to see six. So, um, yeah, I think, I think like that, the, the front, the front, the front definitely worries me a little bit more um, than I, than I'd like it to this week. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I was going to get at here. Like, obviously we're being Notre Dame homers. I was going to say, where is, Notre Dame vulnerable the second time the rematch. Obviously, I think one part of that is you're going against two very experienced coordinators and obviously Davos Winnie as the head coach on the other side. Giving them a chance to see you on film against their team and make little tweaks and adjustments, you know, maybe move align this guy over a shade on the center, something like that. Those guys are very good at what they do, and you know, playing them a second time of the year is scary. The other part is, you know, Trevor Lawrence. Yes, is he going to throw for four hundred and fifty yards? Probably not. But I think where he can really hurt Notre Dame is his passing yards can hurt more. Notre Dame held Clemson the four fifteen on third down. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be better on third down than DJ. I think it's even more important that Notre Dame gets them into third and long. And then I don't think Travis Etienne will be running for 28 yards again, quite frankly. Neither do I. And I think part of that is like the adjustment Clark Lee's going to have to make with Trevor Lawrence in there. He's, he's going to not be able to bring Kyle Hampton down in the box as often and as aggressively. Um, which was a huge part, what I thought was a huge part of stopping Etienne the first time. Um, but what I, what I think the biggest issue with Trevor Lawrence coming in is, like you said, Dono, like DJ was not able to make that third and seven slant throw that Trevor Lawrence makes almost routinely. DJ can take the top off, he can throw the ball deep, and he's got a good. I mean, he's got a great arm, and he threw he threw threw it all over the yard against us, but he missed. Some some slant routes that Trevor Lawrence makes look makes look routine. Mm-hmm. I uh, yeah, I, I think to to both your points there, that's I think you guys are both completely right on that. Like, um, mostly in third da- in third down spots. Like I thought DJ played outstanding uh, for for a true freshman. He's going to be a problem for a long for a very long time. But just think about games that Trevor Lawrence has played in before um, that DJ has not played in before, and that Notre Dame has not played in before. Um, especially last year, uh, and, like I, I think he's going to be much more well equipped, and even if it means holding the ball for an extra second in the pocket um, on third down to make sure that he gets his guy in the right spot, like I, I think there will be 
a, a tangible difference um, in having Trevor Lawrence back there rather than having DJ back there. Not to say that DJ not is not is fantastic, but I just think that Lawrence just has ex- experience will be the difference between those two. Mm-hmm. All right, and I guess kind of the third thing I want to tack here: Notre Dame didn't play a perfect game. Uh, obviously, first time, they 15 points on the board, but then there's a lot of other places they could fix. Is that there's things that Notre Dame can do a lot better that they didn't do well to flip the tide this game. Trevor Lawrence isn't some perfect dude under pressure. And Notre Dame did not get a pass rush until second overtime. No sacks. I mean, I think there were a few pressures, but if Notre Dame, if I were to change one thing about Notre Dame's performance from the last time, it would be you have to pressure Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, you hope that comes from the front four, but, you know, Clemson has a pretty damn solid offensive line. So whether it's throwing different blitz looks, bringing Crawford, Wu, even Hamilton, although I do not want to leave Hamilton anywhere except the middle of the field against Trevor Lawrence. But if you give him exotic looks, pressure him, you have to do everything you can to make him feel uncomfortable because he's not, you know, he's not unbeatable that the dude doesn't have a 95 percent completion percentage he throws interceptions he threw on the Syracuse just like Ian Book did so I think it, you have to get to Lawrence if you're Notre Dame you can't wait till shit 70 minutes into the game to get pressure good math good quick math <sighs> I, I I I look I look one area especially defensively I thought we played really well um but I, I'm with you we definitely can improve I'm looking for much better, much much better performance from Michael Mayer. Um, he left some points out there, like I can point to him for eight points, and I don't think that'll happen again. Yeah, uh, time for time for Mayer, um, and not that he hasn't in some ways before, but like freshman mistakes this week can't happen. Basically, uh, they're they're gonna those are gonna those haven't been costly yet. They will. They will quickly add up on on Saturday. Um, the last thing I like I want to say is like D. I agree. Like the defensive line, we're gonna need we're gonna need a really really big performance out of them because now with Trevor Lawrence back, um, and just and the way the game plans are gonna the game plans are gonna change. I don't think you're gonna have the luxury of bringing eight in the box, seven in the like. You may you may have to live with your with your four two. Um, Either with your four two guys um, and and get pressure that way, um, because you know, Clemson's wide receivers fully healthy have proven they can blow the top off the defense. Um, and I don't know about either of you guys, but like I you know I, I, I like Clarence Lewis and I like Nick McLeod, but I don't necessarily tr- completely trust them one on one to not have a safety over the top to help uh, more often than they don't. So it, it's going to be. I think Clark. If there's any man who's, if there's a man for the job, it's Clark Lee. But that man also has his work cut out for him this week, as far as what to do schematically, uh, because you know they're going to adjust. And then the other thing on us, the one one other thing I want to look at too, like on our end, we have to figure out what we're going to do differently. Um, like, oh, do we continue with this max protect thing? Um, it, you you you'd hope that you wouldn't, because you'd want to change the game plan. But with the uncertainty, with the uncertainty in the offensive line, whether it's Love or whether it's Corral, like you might not have the choice but to keep Kyron Williams in the backfield to protect. Yep. He was a, he, he, he was an elite pass blocker that day. He was incredible. I, I yeah. couldn't give him enough credit. 
but you'd hope you'd hope that in, in round two you'd be able to change something up and get him in the flat a little bit more or get him as a as a as a as a safety valve and I just don't know if it's gonna be possible like he may have to stay home more a lot more often than he's out he's out in formation so yeah I mean Venables is going to challenge you know it's still kind of up in the air I don't think Notre Dame even wants to release because who is playing center in this game just because don't want to give him any advantage but Venables is going to challenge them probably double a, a gap pressures make a pick aside then bring you know your middle linebacker d tackle on Kyron Williams who's got to step up and pick up that blitz good luck the pressure is going to be in books face but I mean I trust him as long as you know the tackles hold up for this year which they have he should be able to you know hopefully squirt through uh, squirt through find a few running lanes and that's what he's going to have to do we're like we haven't talked about Ian Book in this game. He needs to be 100% on his game, be the playmaker that he is, extend plays, get those third and sevens that he has all year. Because, you know, if he starts making mistakes in this game, you can't give Trevor Lawrence extra opportunities with the ball, especially with ETN, especially with Amari Rogers. 12 just has to be a baller, and I, I trust him. He's given me no reason this year not to. I'm, I'm looking ahead, so stop me if you guys – want to shut me up but I think for our national championship hopes this weekend is huge I used to think it didn't really matter but first of all I want an ACC championship that'd be awesome to win second of all if we win and we're assuming that these four teams we talked about earlier Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State will be the top four if we win then we'll probably be the two and we'd likely play Ohio State at the three if we lose we'd probably be the three and we'd likely play Clemson again. But if so, then we'd be the two three. We'd have to beat Clemson, and then we'd probably have to beat Bama in the championship. If we win, we play Ohio State, and I think Clemson probably has the best shot of that of those three teams to beat to beat Bama. So I think it's I I would love to win for that situation. Get us at the two spot playing Ohio State because I think Ohio State's secondary could absolutely be torn apart, and. I think Trevor Lawrence himself can beat Clemson or can beat Bama. Um, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. It's looking ahead. Like, it's absolutely it, looking ahead, but that's where I'm at. It's a, it's a look ahead, but you but this week isn't this week is an important one to set up the path of least resistance. Like mm-hmm. I think for all intents and purposes, knock on wood, you don't want to jinx anything. But like I think us and a lot of people around the country believe that it doesn't really matter what happens this week. Um, that that Notre Dame's. You know, barring barring a thirty-five point loss or a twenty-eight point loss, like I think Notre Dame's probably going to hang on to the four spot. Um, but yeah, then that's thanks to Florida, big help from Florida there. But I want to do want to take one step back. D, you mentioned Ian Book, and it's, we'd be remiss to not spend a, a slightly more time on him. Um, I think, like for me, what's going to be biggest to see from Book early, especially, is I don't need to see him connect on a seventy-yard touchdown. To open the game. I don't need to see him connect on a post route, post routes and goes. What I need him to, what I need to see from him is him connecting on outs and slants, um, and digs to to take the pressure off the offensive line. If you can start throwing behind the blitzing linebackers in 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 like in spots, um, Vener- and, and you can you can be successful doing that, you may be able to get venerables to dial this back and sit in a little more coverage. And you have to, like, if they're going to blitz, you have to beat it. Um, and that's going to, that, that, that may involve taking a sack or two early, um, which is, which I'm okay with. Um, 
but you got to get away. Get, help help your offensive line help you essentially um, by making some big throws, big short throws early uh, to get them to back off a little bit. Um, and the other thing too, it's you know, one thing I want the other one want to touch on is you mentioned it. The um, got to keep Clemson off schedule. Like it's the biggest, it's the biggest thing. We did a really good job of it in the first matchup. Have to do it again on defense. Have to keep them behind the sticks because third, multiple third, third and twos, third and threes, and third and ones are not a sustainable pace against Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the attack. Um, so. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyone else got anything to add for this? I think it's going to be another fucking awesome game. Everyone's saying, like, I, I think this Notre Dame team does not have the makeup. Like, it, it's very hard to blow this team out. They're so well-balanced. Nothing phases them. They've gotten behind a few times, and it just doesn't phase them no matter who they've been playing. You know, I mean, you're down with a minute left. You have to go 90 yards against the number one team in the country. They don't give a fuck. They, they, they Like, Ian Book did it. Like, they'll have all the confidence in the world because they've beaten Clemson. Yeah, that was, a, that was a point somebody made last week. Was like, I would think it was Tony Dungy who said something like, um, you know, this team was, was hoping that they could hang with Clemson um, or, or, that this team, or this team thought they could beat Clemson, right? Um, now they know they could beat Clemson, so they should be playing with a little swag in their stuff. They should be playing pissed off and angry that people are disrespecting them um, and saying that this game's going to be a blowout. I would love to see this, this team just come out and shove it. Um, but more likely than not, I see I see a pretty tight game uh, throughout the way. Um, yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll probably you know if if, if November seventh wasn't the game of the year, there's a good chance this one is. Also, one thing I want to add real quick is this the biggest game in ACC history? Yeah, I think it is. In there ACC may... football history, I don't think there's ever been a conference championship game. Maybe well even then like I was gonna say Florida State Miami Miami used to play in the Big East yeah like when and, those two schools were huge that never happened and I don't think I don't think you ever saw Florida State and Clemson face off for an ACC championship nah they you saw never face, really intersected at their peaks you saw that you saw them face off in the regular season but not not from Charlotte and at a neutral site yeah so that's also, kind of nuts before we move on to picks. Before before we move on to picks, two shout outs that Notre Dame um, because Notre Dame won the weekend without having without having played, thanks to North Carolina Tar Heels and the Florida Gators. Uh, Florida to North Carolina earlier. Yeah, Florida. Sheesh. Yeah, quick thank you to them for blowing the doors off Miami uh, in my in Miami Gardens and shout out to Florida for losing to um, for losing to LSU at home because uh, I think that was ultimately helpful. If you're North Carolina, like, how upset are you right now that, you know, they should realistically, like, have one loss? They lost, what, by a combined six points to Virginia and Florida State, who are two bad teams that they should have beaten. They just got behind in both those games by a ton. Like, I don't know how the tiebreakers would have worked out, but there's a very good shot that they could be the one-loss ACC team uh, playing against Notre Dame for a shot at the playoff right now. Definitely. Are they as good as Clemson? Probably not. But like, if you're a Carolina fan, those two losses got to kill. Mm-hmm. And I, I think winning in Miami got them a spot, a probable spot in the Orange Bowl. 
I think they I think it got them a New York New Year's six berth, which is which is great for them and great for Matt Brown. But that's besides the point. We got we got a we got a big game on our plate this week and we should take care of business. You guys wanna look at some picks? Favorite part. Okay. Alright. So last week, uh so obviously we don't know the reward results or the award results, excuse me, but we have uh everybody hit on the uh, Army Navy. Go Black Knights, go Jeff Munkin. Uh, cadets won the uniform battle and they won on the field, uh, in my opinion. Um, and then we all lost our locks. Yeah. We got to change the name. Troy. Extra pick. Yeah, the, not a lock of the week. Yeah. That's gotta be our, that's gotta be our worst category too. Yeah. Like the wild, ones we consider locks. Wild, just, wild card could hit probably won't. Um, and then Ian, you and I both had wake, um, for all the right reasons, and I don't know what Scott Satterfield said to those kids during the week, but yeah. God, Louisville wanted to, Louisville looked like they wanted to be there a lot more than I thought they would. That's so, like, I mean, it's yeah. like kids trying to get their parents to love them when they don't. You know, they do everything yeah. they can to get them to love them, and Louisville Louisville players did everything they can to get Scott Satterfield to love them, and he might he just might yeah. after that weekend. Um. So everybody finishes one on one last weekend. Um, which is which is fine. Uh, shout out to the Black Knights for battling us all out, or else it could have gotten ugly. Um, all right, this week the way we're going to schedule, we're, the way we're going to look at these picks is we're going to pick all five Power Five conference championship games. So we'll pick the ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, Big 10, and ACC game, and then nobody's going to have a lock this week. Uh, we're going to pick both group uh, the two the two bigger group of five games that are on the slate that have possible New Year's, New Year's six implications. We'll pick Tulsa at Cincinnati and we'll pick uh, Louisiana Lafayette uh, at Coastal. Do you guys want to start there? Do you want to start with the group of five and work back towards the ACC or do you want to start with the ACC and work the other way? Kind of like that idea. Let's, Let, let's build from the bottom up. Yeah. Let's go from the bottom. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with, uh, let's start with Tulsa. Tulsa goes, Tulsa goes to Cincinnati for the AAC championship. Um, Cincinnati undefeated eight. No, Tulsa has looked good as of late. Um, this game is supposed to be a rematch as this game was supposed to get played last weekend, but Cincinnati had, uh, some COVID concerns, so it didn't end up getting played. Um, Cincinnati is 14 point favorites at home over Tulsa. Who do you guys like? So do we know if Tulsa has their quarterback back? I do not know that. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I, I believe he's, I believe he's back, but I mean that it's that extra hook on the 14 that's getting me. Uh, yeah, thirteen. Tulsa. You know, I think I'm. I think that have they even played since the miracle game against uh, Tulane? I don't think they have. Tulsa. Yeah. Or Cincinnati. It was like a month um, ago. No, I don't I think, think either they, team's played in three weeks. I think they did because I thought I bet on Tulsa. I don't. I don't really remember honestly. All right. Yeah, either way, uh, I'm on. I'm on the hurricane here. I just think. I think that's a huge line for teams that are solid. I think UC's good, but. Eh. That's a long time off of football. That it is. Um, I'm gonna go UC here. You guys, you'll guys see a theme that I'm gonna go with this week, and just kind of like what I think always kind of plays out in championship week. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with UC. I think they'll I think they'll run away with it. They're they're a good team, and they haven't gotten their respect. And Luke Fickle probably wants his. Yeah, uh, I too agree with Ian. I think that. Luke, Luke Fickle is going to do another great job this weekend. Desmond Ritter, uh, first time they've played in a little bit, but I think Desmond Ritter will play, play just fine. Um, defenses, like we mentioned earlier, we got our special Marcus Freeman. De- defenses played unbelievable. Um, I just think the Bearcats are too good. This this may be one of the best group of five teams 
I've ever seen in the college football playoff era, like holistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, include and throw throw every name in there. I think the Cincinnati Bearcats team might be the most athletic and most complete. Uh, so I'll go with the Bearcats. It is a big number, but they get the game at home. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think Tulsa Tulsa had a lot of early season magic, but I just think it's run out. Absolute um, disrespect so. to the original row of the boat Western Michigan team. That, that I think lost I'm okay. the whole game. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, speaking of boats, I think the Cincinnati team would boat race the Western Michigan yeah, Broncos. I agree. I agree. Sorry, sorry. The team, had, the, team had, the team had Corey Davis at receiver, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did have Corey Davis at receiver. Andrew, and uh, Andrew Tranquil's little brother played safety. Um, uh, all right, other game from the group of five. We're gonna look at that with playoff with. No, probably not playoff implications. We've already decided that. But with, with New Year's Six implications, potentially. Uh, Louisiana at Coastal. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette at Coastal. Um, Coastal is favored by three and a half at home. Um, make sure you can think about this game is Billy Napier and Jamie Chadwell should both be up for either promotions to a Power 5 team or at least Coach of the Year, or, or at least both in, in uh, Coach of the Year considerations. Uh, this is a rematch of a game that was played earlier this year that Coastal won by three. I think the final score is thirty to twenty-seven. Um, who do you guys? What do you guys like? Who do you guys think? Look, Louisiana gave me uh, the absolute ride of my life betting when I took them to beat uh, App State, and their snapper just had the worst performance by a football player on a field <laughs> at any level that I've ever seen. Wow. Just Don't in terms of the just sheer ability not to do uh, his job. <laughs> but with that being said, lately you mentioned you brought up a really good point, Tom, uh, about you know Chadwell and you know he's definitely looking around, getting interviews. Um, I like the Cajuns here. I think it would be a really cool story if a team like Coastal won. Uh, but I, I think them you know taking the time to you know, reevaluate what they did earlier in the year. They can, that team can run the ball really well. Uh, they do have a solid, some playmakers on defense. Uh, I think the magic just runs out. You know, it's kind of a theme that you see with a lot of these uh, group of five coaches looking around for jobs. Their teams just kind of run out of steam at the end of the year. I, I'm going to go with Louisiana as well. Um, Ooh. Not that, I mean, Billy Napier is also looking at jobs elsewhere. I, this is more so that Coastal, I think, is a really good team, but they're not good enough to go undefeated. Um, they barely escaped last week. And, I, I mean, I just think, yeah, I'm with you, Donald. I think they just run out of steam. And, like, Louisiana is, like, a very good team that you need to be very good to be again, to, to beat. Um, so, and I, I think, worst case scenario, I think Louisiana covers the three. So I'm, I'm going to go Louisiana there, and I probably would pick up the win. So I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the with the Sean Clears. Um, I'm I bought in on everything that Jamie Chadwell is uh, as a head coach. I, I just think that his ability to get more than he expected and more than everybody else expected out of his players has been really really impressive. Um, I think that they've played. Um, Teddy Gallagher is their linebacker, and their quarterback's name is escaping me, but both of those guys have just played really big in big spots. Um, and Maybe this is a symptom of me overrating BYU, but like I think I still think that BYU is a pretty good team. And 
Um, and I and I think the Coastal beat a really really good BYU team. Um, and for those reasons, I'm pro- I'm going to take the Shiner Clears uh, to cover at home. Uh, I don't love that it's three and a half. If it was three, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. But uh, we can live with that. Uh, I got I got the Shiner Clears. I feel kind of bad picking against the shots because the shots have done done so well for me. The shots have been some of your best friends this year. Yeah. yeah. But they also killed my bestest friends, which is BYU. So. Yeah, that, well, that's also true. People forget. All right. All right. Uh, next time. game. Next game, we'll go to the we'll go to the Power Five. Um, let's start Friday night for the game that I don't care about. How does that sound? Sure. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got the uh, we got what was supposed to be the Washington Huskies uh, representing the North. Um, have had COVID issues. They can't field an offensive line and have less than 53 scholarship players. So they've been replaced by the Oregon Ducks, Mario Cristobal and Co. Um, they will travel to LA to play the UCL, uh, excuse me, the USC Trojans. Um, just interesting tidbit here. Uh, Colorado will also be there. Um, and I think Stanford will also be there in case one of the, either the North or the South team ends up coming down with COVID. So everybody will be in town to play the game, but right now it's going to be Oregon and USC. Um, USC was seven and a half point favorites against UW. Um, they are now, the line is now down to three. Um, so we guys got USC minus three at home. It's basically an AAU tournament down there. Essentially. Essentially. Ian and I also got really good news quick. Um, Hofstra won by a lot. Hey, Glenn from Hofstra. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna. Ian, I, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go. I this one is tough to figure out motivations because, of course, USC. You know, they they want their rightful Pac-12 championship. Rightful, that's the wrong word, but they they're originally the ones there. Oregon is the, the substitute, kind of weird coming in, but it's tough to prepare for a team in short notice both ways. Um, I I just don't I don't think USC is that good. They like they escaped in like five of their six games. And they're they're not they're so unconvincing, and I also hate them. So give me the Ducks. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Like Oregon is by far the most talented and like the best team USC's played all year. Obviously, the Pac-12 is what it is. It's somewhere in between a Power Four and Group of Five con- conference <laughs> at this point. Uh I think Oregon might have more talent than USC. It's pretty close either way. Um, yeah. With that being said, I'm going to take USC just because Oregon's secondary almost entirely opted out and Amon Ross. St. Brown's really good. So I think the Trojans get them. Do you got USC? Yeah. I, I talked myself out of Oregon real quickly there. Yeah. So this this sucks because I, uh, I, if there's one thing, there's one thing that I hate this world picking with Michigan, picking with the Wolverines more that is uh, picking with the Trojans. Uh, I, I, I'm a known USC hater, but with that said, I think that let me remind you that while Oregon may be the more talented team on the whole, like from like a, like a, on paper wise, um, this is a team that finished three and two um, and was quite close to having Stanford play in this game instead of them because Stanford also finished three and two in the Pac-12. So um, I, I just think this Oregon team, I question their motivation, actually. I don't know if they really want to be here. At least USC still has something left to prove um, with their 
you know, with with this with the, with an outside chance at saying, hey, we belong in the playoffs. Not that I really believe it, but um, they they have a they have a, a limited case. Um, I think honestly, just watching a little bit of their game, like Keon Slovis has has caught fire. Like he looks good, uh, and I hate to say that, but um, JT Daniels transfers and, and Slovis looks Slovis looks awesome. So I'll be going with the Trojans as well, um, just like D. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. That game. All, another interesting tidbit about that game is US USC's on a short week. Oregon's actually coming off a bye at this point uh, because they didn't play last week, and uh, and the game's Friday night instead of Saturday. Most of the other games are Saturday, um, so that one's that one's the early one. I think it's uh, eight thirty Eastern kick on Friday. All right, next game we'll go to. Uh, let's go to Oklahoma versus Iowa State. Uh, I believe that one gets played from. AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Uh, Oak, uh, Iowa State will technically be the home team, but again, the neutral side game. Iowa State is five-point underdogs to to an Oklahoma team, um, despite being ranked four spots higher in the uh, in the college football playoff. All right, who do you guys like? I, I I think Oklahoma, and I don't think it's particularly close. I. I think they like if no one's been watching them the last few weeks, but they've hit a groove. They've looked like. The Oklahoma that we're used to, at least against Big 12 teams, not anyone else in college football, and just destroying them. So, yep, I got Sooners. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, the under the radar, ever since that OK State game, they've just been kind of rolling. Honestly, before that, um, they've just been absolutely rolling. And I, I don't think Brock Purdy and Iowa State will have enough offense other than Brees Hall to keep up with them. So I'm going to go OK. I'm going to go Oklahoma. Yeah, I too am going to go with Oklahoma. Uh, this this team has this team has got also has kind of caught fire. Um, Spencer Rattler settling in, settling in nicely. Um, their defenses looked really really good. Uh, I think Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing. Uh, he's kind of he's been in this spot before. And sucks because I really like Matt Campbell. Um, I don't you know, not the biggest Brock Birdie fan per se, uh, but I think it's Brees Hall as their running back, right? I think he's uh, you know he's a special running back, but I just don't think he's going to be enough by himself. Um, to beat this Oklahoma defense that's kind of buckled down. Um, and, D.I., I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, I expect points in this game, but I, I don't see this one being particularly close either. Um, so we'll see what happens, but I, I got the Sooners as well. All right. Uh, next game, uh, we got the Northwestern Wildcats versus Ohio the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, this game is being played at noon from Indianapolis uh, on a neutral site. Ohio State is... 20 and a half point favorites uh, from Indianapolis. Uh, who do you guys like? Buckeyes huge. Not like, North They West know that they have to, yeah, they know that they have to, you know, put on performance for the committee. Uh, I, I, they know they're going to win, but they know that they've been somewhat disrespect for not playing the schedule. Obviously, Northwestern doesn't help their schedule a ton. I think everyone knows that that's still kind of a joke of a team. But I think we see a Big Ten title game akin to, well, is that 2014 or 15 when they beat Wisconsin 59-0? Probably won't be that bad because Urban Meyer's not their coach. I don't think Ryan Day's at his level, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, yeah, I'm any, I'm not taking Northwestern. I think for the same reasons as Dono said, Ohio State has to put on a show. They will put on a show. Um, I think they're pretty good. 
they'll put up some points. Um, Northwestern, as bad as – not as bad, but Ohio State's defense is not great. Northwestern's offense is so bad. They are so, so bad. They have I, – I just don't think that team has any business being in the Big Ten Championship. It's kind of a – the Big Ten is god-awful. I think Iowa's probably a better team than Northwestern. And I think I, – I mean, I, I would consider taking this line at 30 and a half. Um. Yeah, this one. I think this one's gonna get ugly. Um, I saw some people saying that, like, I think Northwestern could kind of hang around. Um, to me, I, I think Ryan Day is going with like a take no prisoners, um, you know, scorched scorched earth. Uh, let's leave no doubt uh, about why we belong in the playoffs, even though I only haven't played seven game or seven games total. Um, I would feel fairly comfortable taking this line. At ten points higher, just like Ian, just like Ian mentioned, uh, I'll take I'll take Ohio State um, as well. All right, we'll save our game for last. The other game being played uh, is the SEC championship game, which I think takes place from Atlanta, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Atlanta, it'll be Florida versus Alabama. Florida from the representing the SEC East and Alabama for the SEC West. Um, Alabama is 17-point favorites. This line opened at 16.5. Uh, so for those who got it there, kudos to you. Uh, it's now 17. Uh, who do you guys like? I like Florida on a backdoor cover now that it's uh, on now that it's at 17.5. I mean, I think it's a blowout. Alabama's just too good. Florida's secondary all year has kind of been sketchy, and you can't have that against Alabama. Um, yeah, I, I literally think it's a garbage time touchdown, bring them within 17 and that's it. Like your yeah. game's not going to be close. I don't think, I don't think you backdoor cover against Bama in the SC championship. So I, I'm, I'm going to take Bama. Um, Bama would, that Bama team would be nowhere near losing to LSU, the LSU team that Florida just lost to. So Bama has been blowing out nearly everybody. Florida, I think is over, overrated a little bit still. Um, and this is a little bit of a Heisman showdown, and I think Bama's teammates show up for Mac Jones more than Kyle Trask's teammates show up for him. Um, I've been here's a, here's a mistake that I've made all year um, is not taking Alabama to cover yeah. in like in like re, in like real life. I'm always saying like you know what this line's too big. This is the week that Missouri or this is the week that whoever happens to roll into Tuscaloosa. Um, they'll cover this like it'll be four touchdowns or less um stupid mistake on my part i'm gonna teach myself a lesson i'm gonna i'm gonna learn from my lessons here uh, i will too take alabama i don't think this is close um i think alabama is the far superior team and this is a line that i mentioned ian i would feel very comfortable at 26 and even 36 because uh i just i just think this team is that that good Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way around, and Florida, Florida clearly has some flaws. If they played anything like they did last week, they're going to get shut out. Um, I could totally see a fifty burger here from uh, from from Nick Saban and Tide. Also, so, a, a, a motivation issue, I think too. Uh, Florida's yeah. not playing for the same things they were playing for last week. Nope, and, and uh, I think Sark, Sark would love to add another fifty burger to his to his resume before he heads heads over to Auburn. <laughs> all right. Um, Allegedly. All right, let's get back. Let's get to our game. Um, so open to ten and a half. It's still floating around there. We're gonna take the game at ten and a half. But Clemson Notre Dame from Charlotte. I think that it's a four o'clock game. Um, so I think you'll get 
the Big Ten at noon, ACC at four, and I think you get the SEC at seven. Um, and I don't care about the Big 12 game. Uh, but Clemson-Notre Dame from Charlotte, Notre Dame is 10.5-point dogs, uh, despite being the, technically the home team in this one and the higher-ranked higher, higher ranked team. Uh, who do you guys like? I believe. I don't even need to believe. Like, this team's confident. I mean, I think they'll certainly be inside that 10.5 number. I will not be betting that 10.5 number. I will be taking my sizable winnings from college football gambling this year, which is heavily weighted to to a Notre Dame cover against North Carolina. Uh, I will be taking that, throwing it on the Irish money line. Um, all right, I'll, I'll, we'll do score predictions. We did that first time, too. Uh, I I just I just have faith. This team has given me no reason to think that they can't do it. These coordinators, you know, Clark Lee seems like the type of man where if he says something, he'll do it. If he's locked into saying that, yeah, I'll be here the rest of the year, I'll put a game plan against Clemson, then Ohio State, then Bama, I believe he's going to do it. I think that people really forget we left 15 points on the board. Now, we won't play perfect again, and I don't think we'll need to. I think you have seen a lot of people step up on our D-line, and I think they make the difference in this game. I think we get to Lawrence, sack him three, four times, get him into those third and long situations. I think we pick him off like we didn't pick off DJ because he's, you know, he's not perfect. He's not perfect. This Clemson team is not perfect with Trevor Lawrence. I'm tired of hearing it. Iris 30, Clemson 28. I think uh, they, they missed a two-point conversion at the end. Poetic justice from 2015. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, that's an awesome prediction. I I think this is a very good line, and it's like it's stumping me. Like I mean, like I'm gonna take the Irish. I'm put down slab Irish plus ten and a half for yep. sure. Um, that that ten and a half number seems right about where I think it should be. But in no way, like I, I think we could. I honestly think we could win honestly by ten and a half as well. Like I I think we. We showed that we absolutely belong, and I think the difference in this team from years past is, like, Dalen Hayes seems like a man on a mission. Ade seems like a man on a mission. Ian Book is clearly a man on a mission. There's a different makeup in this locker room that seems more equipped to handle moments like this, and definitely hang within that ten and a half number. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Irish plus ten and a half, and like Dono said, I'm gonna take my less sizable winnings. Put it on the money line. You got a score. Oh, I mean, I think they put up one. I, I think it'll be 27 to 30. Irish win? Irish win. That's great news. Okay. Um, so, frankly, I think that my um, my head definitely says, well, no matter what, I think I got Notre Dame, and Notre Dame to cover that number. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That no matter what, I just think – Especially with especially with the half point, um, you know, I don't I don't really see this game getting out of hand. I don't see it being more than a more than a one or a one and a half score game here. Um, so definitely taking Notre Dame uh, with with the with with the to cover that ten and a half. With that said, though, I think that it's very very difficult to beat a team twice, especially with Clemson bringing back as much as they are. Um, Again, I'm not even as concerned about Trevor Lawrence as I am. I get back again about guys, uh, as I am about guys like Skalski, um, and some of the other defensive guys they bought back. 
Um, and I, I, I have some serious serious concerns about what's going to happen up front for Notre Dame with, without, without Jared Patterson in the middle. Um, so they might, everything in my head says that, that Clemson, you know, plus Clemson to win the game by three or, or by seven is, is the right choice. I'm not going to do that though, because I have a weird gut feeling that things have just gone really right for Notre Dame this year. Um, and it's been, it's been a really great season. And I, I think we could just rely on, on some, some talent and some maturity and some physicality, um, to find, a, find another way to win this one. It's, it's, I don't think it'll be pretty and I don't see Notre Dame winning by more than a score. Um, in really any scenario, but I, I, I definitely see Notre Dame in a, in a strong scenario in my head, winning, winning by, winning by a touchdown or winning by a field goal, winning, winning by one score. Um, so head says, head says Clemson, but I'm going to go with Notre Dame, uh, cause the gut says, so I'll go 33, 30, uh, Notre Dame. Fantastic. I, I will say like, I had the same nightmare last time I played Clemson, but like there's part of me that just sees rattled the end book, you know, Brian Kelly losing his shit on the sidelines. Like our defense just having three minutes each possession on the sideline and just getting gashed by the middle of the second quarter. I I think, I don't know. I just, I just will forever have that nightmare. All right. How about a more positive theoretical? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I could also see Ian Book throwing for eight touchdowns. So how about uh, Ian Book has a great game, similar to his first performance. Uh, Alabama loses the SEC final somehow, but Kyle Trask has a terrible game. Devontae Smith gets hurt. Mac Jones throws three picks. Does Ian Book win the Heisman? No. Devontae oh, Smith wins the Heisman. All right. Yeah, but I said he gets hurt. Like, first play of the game. He probably still Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith was side. All right. T? It's always weird. What I think, Devontae Smith still wins that. Oh, no. I, I thought you had another scenario there. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I don't. Uh, the only thing I was going to say is that, like, I I was worried about going into game one. Uh, my worries are different here. Like, my, I think my worries more were with, with Book and the receiving core. Um, and that now it's a proven commodity. My my worries more more aligned with with Notre Dame offensive line. But again, just what happened last time. Like those the people I was worried about stepped up and made big plays. And I expect expect something very very similar here. Um, so uh, let's uh, let's go with the Irish this week. Um, say a pr- say a prayer Friday night, and uh, I think we'll all be good to go. Let's get it done. Wear exactly what you wore on. Yep. Wear what you wore on November seventh. Yeah. Same. I'm, uh, same everything. I'm certainly more than a little um, stitious, so I, I, it's not. I've worn the yeah. same thing for uh, for quite a few weeks now. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess. I'll, Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you um, on the other side of the AC Championship on our way to the playoff. Yep. Let's do it, guys. Irish are going to the playoff. See you guys then.